Hello everyone, as you can hear from my voice, I'm slowly recovering from my long illness, and my co-host Reed is also recovering from a busy last week of uh, conferences as well as additional workloads. So in the interest of getting us into the best spirits, this week we're going to feature an encore episode and promise to be back next week with a brand new episode. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode entitled, Is Digital Really the Future of Healthcare?, which we featured last August on this show. And tune in next week for a brand new episode. I read today a report from the United States Patent and Trademark Office. IKEA filed a patent that creates a device that will randomly turn on lights in your home to prevent burglars from telling if someone's there or not. I mean, don't we kind of already have that? Like, don't we have lights that are connected and you can, like, schedule them and flip them on and off and stuff? Just plug in, like, the the Christmas tree lights that, like, have a cadence to them and just drape them around the house. I can't even imagine what this thing would be called. And the assembly instructions, I mean, I feel like people are going to give up halfway through. It would probably be good for the IKEA, like, hacks website or whatever it is. Maybe you can kind of program your IKEA furniture to assemble itself randomly as well. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 292. Starts and ends with a two. Is that a, is that a something? What is it? What's the word if it's spelled the same forward and backwards? Oh, like a palindrome. Is it a palindromic number? Is that a thing? Is it? Is there such a thing as a palindromic number? Because that's what this would be at 292. But regardless, this means nothing and has no bearing on the episode we're about to record, but uh, or are recording. But we do welcome you. That is Chris. I'm Reed. We certainly uh, are thrilled that you're here for another episode, another week of Touchpoint. Touchpoint.health is the website. Quick plug for that. If you navigate or surf the uh, the webs over there, you will notice all of our 292 episodes are there. So you can dig in, look around, maybe find other things you're interested in. You'll also notice up in the top navigation something called the TPS report. If you click on that, all we need is your name and your email address. And all we're going to do is send you an email once a week. Five articles to start your week. That's really it. I hope it's helpful. I hope it's a, a great resource to, to kick off uh, each week. So I would love if you'd sign up for that. And we'll give you a minute to do that and be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is, and Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews, and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, 
get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. I think we have an interesting topic today, Reed, to talk about because it's a question that many of us in the industry really wonder. And sometimes we can get into debates with other caregivers that we're working with, you know, doctors or, or clinical leaders. Is digital really the future of care delivery? You shared an article with me from FTI Consulting that actually is called the future of care delivery. And, and it's a really good thought piece that I'd like for the two of us to uh, let's get into it, talking a little bit about that. It is a great piece and excited to kind of jump in here. You know, I actually got this. I saw it uh, posted on LinkedIn from a connection. Josh Soul, he's a managing director over there, uh, ran innovation at Houston Methodist down in uh, Houston, Texas, which is where I met him. And anyway, good follow. Uh, go, go connect with him on LinkedIn. We'll have him on the show maybe in the future. But yeah, so uh, first he talks about, let's look at some definitions and some context of really what we're solving for here. So the Institute for Healthcare Improvements framework to optimize the healthcare system performance includes what they call the triple aim. And that's what a lot of kind of the, the level setting is. So improving the patient experience of care. So that's like, you know, including quality and satisfaction and that kind of stuff. Improving the health of populations and reducing the per capita cost of healthcare. So patient experience, the health of the population, and reducing the cost of healthcare. Triple aim. You and I have talked about triple aim before too. I mean, it's, I think that's really important. And whenever we kind of frame up the work that we do in our space, we really try to use digital as a way to address that triple aim, you know, so to speak. This article is, is great. We link to it in the show notes. It has some additional definitions, including the first point of the triple aim, which is to improve the patient experience. They actually pull forward in a definition of what that is. It's from the Agency of Healthcare Research and Quality, or AHRQ, for those of you who know all of the acronyms in our industry. That's right. They define patient experience as encompassing the range of interactions that patients have with the healthcare system, including their care from health plans, from doctors, nurses, the staff, hospitals, physician practices, and other healthcare facilities. I wonder in our world, if other healthcare facilities really means digital components, like websites and social media. I wonder if we could say that. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's part of the range of interactions. I mean, the range of interactions that a patient has with the healthcare system, again, they're calling out some of the logical things that, in my mind, now again, we're getting into the virtual space uh, here in a minute, probably, but a lot of this historically has been in person, right? You know, from doctors, nurses, the staff, physician practices, healthcare facilities. Historically speaking, at least most people in their mind probably associate that with some sort of uh, in real life, you know, interaction. But if you think about the range of interactions that people have, certainly that's our Google listings, that's third-party review sites, that's our website, social media, you know, all, all kinds of stuff that are kind of in the digital footprint, if you will. 
Well, I think that's that's awesome because then digital is definitely part of the patient experience. And, and we definitely will go into that a little bit further in the show today. But let's talk about the other elements of the triple aim, right? Improving, improving the health of the populations and reducing per capita costs. I think technology often is equated to helping to minimize costs. Let's get into the the whole, the whole thing about improving health. I think first we have to think about patient engagement. And so this article also defines patient engagement. It says here that patient engagement is a concept that combines the patient's knowledge, skills, ability, and willingness to manage their own health and care with interventions designed to increase activation and promote positive patient behavior. There's an interesting call on there, though, because we're putting a, it's like it's all it's a lot back on the patient, right? Their knowledge, their skills, their ability, their willingness. And again, patient engagement, I think a lot of at least how I've kind of thought about it in my head is how we engage the patient, not the patient's driven engagement. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So he, he does call in here that you know patient engagement is critical as these like lifestyle patterns, uh, as he puts it, in, in social circumstances represent 40% and 15% respectively of the contributors to premature death. Mm. So behavioral patterns in social circumstances. So now we're getting into social determinants of health to some extent, which people sometimes can control, sometimes they can't or, or have influence over, I should say, maybe not control. I'm still stuck with that perspective you have about that we're putting it all onto the patient because going further, patient engagement, as the article points out, requires self-management support. Again, we have another institutional definition. The, in fact, the Institute of Medicine. (laughs) That's a very prestigious title, I guess. I work for the Institute of Medicine. They actually say the systematic provision of education and supportive interventions by healthcare staff help increase patient skills and confidence in managing their health problems, including regular assessment of their progress, problems, goal setting, etc. So I guess this is where we as healthcare professionals can start to intervene and make it less incumbent upon the patient to manage yeah. their care. And now what we're doing is we're, we're giving them the tools, but again, it's for them to self-manage their care. And to be fair, I mean, it's obviously not all on the patient here, but, you know, they talk about that, their knowledge, skills, ability, et cetera, kind of intersecting with our care interventions, right? Like how are we leading them down that path or how are we, you know, supporting them, if you will. And that that's kind of to your point there from the state of medicine. So the call out around the ability of a patient to self-manage, he says, depends on many factors, Knowledge, psychological components such as you know self-efficacy, attitudes, health beliefs, their mood, motivation, uh, coping skills, lifestyle behaviors, and the degree of, of social support. I think a lot of that too is you know where are they in their life, right? Which I think does you know have an impact on their willingness or their mood or motivation, even right? Like you're a 19 year old college student that's been basically healthy all your whole life, do you have the motivation to make certain choices or decisions or even care versus you're a parent maybe and you're making choices for someone else, a child? There there are a lot of factors there. Right. And I I think that whole concept of knowledge, right, it's, it's so difficult because that's not the only reason 
why people will change their healthcare behavior. It's important, but I mean, there's so many aspects to that, health literacy, other things. And there was actually a study in 2022, Redpoint Global. They did a survey of 100,000 patients. And uh, they called the survey when they released the findings, healthcare consumers weigh in, personalized experiences are a must. So what they said in it, they found that a majority of respondents, 80% of them, said that they prefer to use digital channels to communicate with their healthcare providers and brands at least some point of the time. Additionally, 66% said that selecting a provider was dependent on the provider's ability to communicate with them in a timely and consistent manner. And lastly, another huge finding here, again, this is all about experience, is that 60% said they would choose a provider based on how well the provider understands them beyond like just the patient and health information. It's about their experience. It's more than knowledge, right? It's about how they experience those care interactions. Those three are all very tied together in my mind, right? So 80% prefer digital channels. And I do, you know, I'd rather you text me or deal with a chat bot or, or whatever it is that then kind of cascades down to, you know, two thirds of folks wanting communication in a timely and consistent manner. Well, a lot of that is accomplished via digital. And then, you know, that understanding again, you know, almost two thirds or so want people that, you know, to understand them. Well, that's where some of the AI and some of the predictive pieces and things like that potentially come in. Well, let's do this, Reed. Let's take a break. And we, we kind of outlined the challenges, the triple AM and all of the things here and what consumers are starting to want. When we come back, let's talk about the importance of understanding customers through their care journeys. And uh, that gets a little bit closer to the overall topic of this podcast is like, is digital the right solution? We'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Before the break, we talked a lot about kind of the background, the baseline, the, the setup a little bit. So now it's uh, so now what, you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. And, you know, he outlines quite a few actionable items here in the article. And so, again, we'll hit some of the high points. I uh, would encourage you to go back and really dig in if this seems to resonate or, or be a place that you find yourself. So, Chris, you mentioned, you know, right before the break, journey maps, user experience, you know, that kind of thing. And so what does that mean? You know, what, why is that important? I think it's hard for us to do our job. We talk about personalization all the time. Where we're going to find ourselves is in a highly or hyper-personalized industry before too long. I mean, that's kind of the goal. Really, that really comes down to the fact that if we do digital and we use, well, 
I, I don't want to go right to digital, but if we if we start to design solutions to support our customers in this in this whole goal of of the triple aim, right, of supporting the triple aim, we really have to think about the way we do things differently. In the past, we've been always kind of building a solution and hoping they'll come use it. Mm-hmm. Now, we, what we have to do is we have to turn around and start to really look at understanding our customers the right way. And this is all about user experience design. And, you know, whenever I say that to like providers or people that are, have been traditionally trained in, in medicine, I notice that they're also being taught in medical school that they have to understand their patients better and their patients' needs better. So it's story, it, this is a resonant theme that's happening, not just in our discipline, but also in clinical applications. It really is. From an experience or journey mapping, user experience design standpoint, uh, he outlines a couple of great you know next steps. So first, understanding our customers. Personas, that's not a new word on this show. Uh, we've talked about that a lot as it's you know related to marketing and journey mapping. And that's what I think is interesting and again, I feel like you know, it's a little bit of a broken record, but where does quote unquote digital start and stop, you know, is becoming, uh, not becoming, it, it is uh, really hard to define, right? And so uh, things he mentions in here, like that they're the, you know, personas are the foundation for journey maps. They're fictional characters, <laughs> they're composites. And I've seen some really cool ones that I'd love to see what other people have put together. If you've got something really cool, I, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to see it. I always like to learn, but you know, it's really, it's a, it's a composite or it's a character that that's built upon, you know, research that you have. It's uh, you know, the working mom and people come up with like cute titles for these things or whatever, but they really are meant to help you understand what the need is of this consumer, of this person, and what those experiences look like, what their behaviors look like, their tendencies, you know, what they want out of life, their goals, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it goes way past like socio-demographic information. Mm-hmm. It gets into what problems are they trying to solve. That really leads to that whole concept of user experience design, right? Designing experiences is really about making sure that whatever service or product you're offering really inf- hits the seven, what they call the seven factors of user experience design. Let's talk about those really quickly. I, I think they resonate with us as we say them. First, it has to be useful. Yeah, I feel like that's probably a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> it also has to be usable, meaning people can access it, right? And people can, can use it. It's not complicated. It has to be findable. So people will not have a hard time. It's some of the challenges with the early introduction of patient portals, they were hard to get into. So it wasn't really findable. I guess it wasn't usable, right? Because of the passwords or what have you. So that's three. Okay. So another one has to be credible. So you can't launch a user experience uh, in a domain that your your organization doesn't really necessarily own or spend time in. I like thinking of a health system that's now trying to launch a credit card for their patients. That doesn't seem credible to, to their brand. Mm-hmm. It has to be desirable. And when we say desirable, we mean by the consumer desires it, wants it. It has to be accessible. And lastly, it has to be valuable. It has to provide value to them. When you think of those seven factors, Reed, I, I think all of those really play an important part of this. You know, I think we probably over-index or kind of focus on some of those over other ones or just some of them and not other ones. The findable piece, you know, again, uh, is the marketing folks. That, that seems 
like something we, we spend a fair amount of time on, uh, the accessibility piece, the credible piece, you know, like I feel like those are probably where we spend the most of our time. You know, you could argue useful maybe and usable, but valuable or kind of the goal of it all, I think is one that we need to continue to really think about. And that's where you start moving away from marketing KPIs and you're really more looking at just the overarching value to the patient. Well, the last thing he calls out here, so after you kind of understand who your customer is, you design this experience, is, is really honing in and understanding the way the behavior is changing. It's probably not hard to imagine that uh, our preferences and the way that we participate in the world uh, evolves over time. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. just, that's life, right? And so we've got to understand how to connect and have that two-way unidirectional, he calls it. We've got to have a bi-directional or frequent in, in contact with the consumer that we're getting some sort of bounce back, if you will, on if what we're doing is is any good. So given all of that, right, pulling all that together, it's easy for us to kind of say, well, digital clearly checks all the boxes on all of these. I think you and I want to feel that way. But let's continue further down this thought here. By doing a quick level set on what we know right now about our market, we got a population that's aging, right? The U.S. population is getting older. It's projected to increase. There's a lot of good stats in here. This is incredible for me, right? Uh, In in 2020 to 2030, the people over the age of 65 is going to increase from 56.1 million to 73.1 million people. That's 20% of the total population. It's going to be over the age of 65. That's a lot. And that, that directly then kind of goes to his next point, which is, you know, Medicare spending is going to increase. I mean, as people get older, I mean, this is, you know, kind of a cause and effect kind of a thing. I, you know, I, I don't know that that's a shocker once you see some of these stats to assume that, that Medicare spending goes up by like a lot. And then add to that that there's serious chronic conditions <clears throat> that people are dealing with heart cancer, heart disease, cancer, COVID-19, also depression, right? Mental health is a big part of this as well. So if we look at like these bigger factors here and we start to say, okay, will digital fit into this kind of this realm of things to support this triple aim of this, where we're at with our, our audiences and, and their needs and their wants, I think it might be good for us to kind of close out on discussing three use cases, so to speak, of where we potentially can use digital health to support this triple aim. Yeah, the first one he calls out here is the chronic care patient. So if you look at their journey, the optimization and trying to help influence kind of that, what we mentioned earlier around their knowledge and motivation and things like that, requires self-management. And so digital experiences can and probably should be used along these complex journeys. I think that's what's interesting, right? You look at some of these folks that engage with the healthcare system on a regular basis. Well, how can we use digital to to aid in that? Some examples he calls out, like he refers to something called a mature contact center, right? Think of a mm-hmm. call center now that is omnichannel call center that involves mobile, voice, web, video, email, social media, chatbots. So the call centers of today are in the future have to be mature in that way. Related to that, these are like self-service tools, chatbots, voice analytics, automated clinic decision trees, further support kind of the self-service experience. 
Do you think I, I've got an opinion on this, but somebody, you know, chronic care, is that what the vast majority of people want is the self-service piece? Like do people want to do most of this themselves like they would do, I don't know, banking or something in the rest of their life? You know, I'm kind of on the fence about it because I am a chronic care patient with my type mm-hmm. one diabetes. And I am going through the process right now of with a gluco, uh, continuous glucose monitor and moving to an insulin pump yeah. to develop a continuous closed circuit system. And the more I go down that path, the more I personally have gotten invested in these self-service tools. In mm. my mind, you know, I think that there are some people that don't, that are not privy to that, but there are others that kind of take to that. And then that might be an age difference thing. But I think part of that too is, is because these technologies now are getting much more easier to use back to our user experience design, right? Right. The easier you make it to use these things and integrate it into your life, then it's easier to adopt to these tools. Does that make sense? Uh, Yeah, it does. I, you know, I think this is kind of, this may be a terrible analogy, but I think back to when the iPad first came out, I don't know when that was 2012 ish, maybe or so. Yeah, I don't know, like that. whenever that was. And I remember I'd gotten one because we always got whatever the newest whatever was, <laughs> you know, phone and tablet. I mean, there was no real use case. It was just like, you know, this is amazing. We should have one. And I had it. And shortly after getting it, we went on vacation with my parents and they saw it. And uh, they immediately went while we were on vacation. We all went to the Apple store and they each got an iPad smash cut to today and neither one of them own a computer anymore. We've evolved because the use case, the value was there and they could do what they needed to do and that kind of thing from a technology standpoint. Well, I think that we're, that that's where we're getting with some of the self-service pieces, right? Is early on, um, a lot of this stuff is like, well, it's, you know, it's interesting. Like that's cute. You know, the fuel band from Nike, like uh, that was neat, I guess you know, whatever. But now we're getting to a place where you like what you're talking about, connected devices and wearables and stuff is, is very different than the original Fitbit. Like there's a, there's a practical use case to it. And I think that's where we're talking about here where, you know, we're talking about maturing contact centers. Uh, you know, he also calls out, you know, self-service tools and remote monitoring technologies. They are what people are going to start expecting, right? So they can go home from the hospital quicker. So they don't have to come in. So they don't have, you know, it's just a different way to think about that journey. Here's another big use case, mental health. Mm-hmm. Big thing, big topic, right? The presence of mental health disorders in patients with chronic disease there's a direct correlation to higher costs, hospitalization rates, emergency department visits. In fact, Canada did a study that shows that, you know, the cost of 34 over $34,000 for patients with chronic disease and depression as compared to to 20,000 for those with just chronic disease alone. The complexity of adding mental health into all of this. The good news is is that there are a number of digital mental health platforms that are out there that are being introduced, not just telehealth which is a big part of this. They're starting to integrate digital solutions into substance use disorder outpatient visits and ways of just staying connected with your mental health provider. I think that is a great use case here for digital health. We saw that through the pandemic, you know, obviously as we as well talked about, the increase in utilization around tele and virtual opportunities. And the one that's really stuck is the mental health piece, you know, people's willingness to use 
these types of tools and apps and you know virtual and telehealth opportunities for those types of visits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, it, like you just mentioned, that is a big piece of the pie as you think about you know the overall utilization of telehealth. But I think you know it's going to be interesting to see you know what this looks like long term. Something else they they call it in here, kind of the last piece of this this article is medication uh, adherence or maybe non adherence. They say that this is exceedingly common, uh, the medication non-adherence piece, that it affects 40 to 50% of patients with with chronic diseases. So non-compliance results from a patient-related barriers such as um, maybe they don't feel like they need it, right? So you think about somebody like mental health, maybe maybe they're doing pretty good with their anxiety or depression or whatever. So they don't feel like they need to take the medication at that point in time. The lack of understanding of proper use, the purpose, the benefit of therapy, the treatment, related barriers, including you know side effects or out-of-pocket cost, or maybe it's just hard to get there or, or whatever you know needs to happen. But changing patient behavior is difficult, but necessary to improve the adherence he talks about. So a study from 2017 that he references found no conclusive evidence of improved medication adherence using digital health interventions such as IVR or uh, like SMS. So, uh, you know, text messaging campaigns and telemonitoring and, and that kind of stuff. I think that's interesting. I think we're probably going to get better at that where that probably won't be, you know, that's 2017 to be fair. Right. Uh, which is like 40, 50 years ago in digital years. Exactly. Uh, so. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think the bottom line here is that it's it goes back to really understanding journey. Journey maps UX design are so important when we're wanting to align digital health solutions to support these big use cases, you know, for the triple aim that are, are impacting the triple aim. But ultimately, it's not always the case that a digital tool is the panacea for care. It's not always digital. It's really about what the patient wants, right? That's what it was. Let's do this, Reed. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit about how organizations can fall into various different traps when they're looking at their digital opportunities. We'll do that right after this brief pause. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Reid. Um, a related article that we found that we looked at, we thought it'd be good to be part of this conversation, came from the Harvard Business Review. We love the Harvard Business Review. They actually published something just recently, an article that's called, Is Your Company Squandering Digital Opportunities? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes we're done. <laughs> Thanks for coming, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> they point out that six years ago, Harvard Business School came up with this topic about companies that often fail because they focus so narrowly on their products and services that they forget to keep in mind the bigger picture. That's called marketing myopia. It's a term that's being used. The author of this article actually says there's a new affliction that's happening. It's called digital myopia, Uh-oh. where you're looking to product services and industry attributes for competitive advantage, failing to notice that in today's world, customer preferences have shifted 
from attributes to data-driven services and experiences. Huh. Okay. I've never heard of digital myopia. I think it's a new term the author is trying to coin, actually. Let's go into it further, right? Because he actually outlines five major traps or five traps that organizations can potentially fall into if they have a digital infrastructure like we do in health systems that could potentially lead you to this concept of a digital myopia. The first one he calls out is the product trap. Wasn't that that movie with the twins? <laughs> it's like they went to camp or something. Anyway, that's the parent trap. Yes, right, 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 right. right. Yeah, Dennis Quaid, I think, was in it. Anyway, uh, this is where firms, uh, you know, believe their products to be the only revenue source. You know, they don't see the new and enlarged role of the modern data and how that can occupy their businesses. I don't feel like this is one that maybe we fall into quite as much. I don't know. Maybe the tele and virtual health piece, you know, you could argue is, you know, kind of falls in, you know, we're getting, we're getting sidetracked with the product uh, of it all. I, I don't know. Right. Or just lost in the, in the product ecosystem, right? Like the patient portal. Oh, everything can be done in the patient portal. That's, that's an example of a product trap. Sure. Yeah. The experience is outside of, it's all around, right? As we talked about that, that patient experience hits all these different digital channels. So what you have to do is you have to tie together all of these channels and get an insights using data and analytics to understand how consumers are using all of these things. And that whole component here is now, it really moves from a product, digital product solution to a digital experience solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's one area where we, we potentially fall into it. Another trap is the value chain trap, where they believe the value chains limit their business scope. Here's an example. When we look at patient experience, we're only caring about their experience from when they show up to be a patient to when they're discharged. They're not understanding the overall value chain of that patient prior to being a patient, from being a patient through being a patient. Does that make sense? Yeah. So calls out in here that, you know, to kind of avoid this, uh, that firms must develop processes, track new consumption ecosystems, find a way to build new digital platforms. And so that's interesting. I, I think this is where you see organizations start to focus on things like pop health and care gap and stuff like that, that you know, are not these high margin service lines. You know, how do we become the organization that that cares for and, and and kind of encompasses this population and then whatever the population needs then we kind of have outlets for that right versus absolutely you, let's just drive joint replacement i have another example that can work really well for us i'm really advancing this concept that we're not just talking about websites anymore we're talking about digital platforms a website mm-hmm. is a digital platform ecosystem because you can learn so much. And it's, by the way, your biggest component in your digital front door that allows you to understand consumers and what they're looking for and how they're interacting. And if you integrate your backend systems to your, your website platform, suddenly you're developing this great value ecosystem. Well, next on the list is the operational efficiency trap. That's kind of interesting. I don't know that we find ourselves, at least as marketers, maybe in this world quite as much. You know, value chain assets, process, you know, 
and just trying to figure out how data generating, data sharing networks, you know, the kind of value chain of all this. I don't know that we we find ourselves here very much. We, we probably should be in here more. I don't know that, don't know that it's ever really going to be a trap for us necessarily. I think a second part of this too is that don't think of digital as just there to make things more efficient or cheaper. Digital actually should be an investment for your organization. If you're thinking about, I'm going to stand up this uh, chat bot because it's going to save me you know, 50 people on my call center long term, I don't think you're thinking about it the right way, right? I think that's part of the operational efficiency trap too. Another trap is the cu- customer trap. Ooh. I know that sounds really ominous, doesn't it? And where organizations fall into the customer trap when they think of customers only as people or groups who buy their products. They're only patients or they're only potential patients. You have to recognize customers as sources of interactive data. Uh, Customers have great insight into how you can improve not just whatever product you're offering to the market or whatever service you're offering to the market. You have to think of them as being foundational to changing the way you're going to build new products and services in the future. This article calls out digital platforms like Facebook and Google. They give their core platform away for free because what they do is that customer is, has become now the place where they can generate the most revenue. Platform users, advertisers, all of this, it all centers around that. Good or bad, that's how they're doing it. Well, finally, is the competitor trap. This is where uh, you know folks believe that their competitors to be only those who offer similar products. I think this is one that really does kind of hit squarely in, in kind of the provider side of healthcare. You know, this is where, you know, oh, who are your competitors? Well, there's two other hospitals in town. It's like, no, no, no. I didn't ask who your hospital competitors were. This is, you know, where we see the disruptors coming in from CVS and Walgreens and Walmart and Kroger and Amazon and like those types of things. This is just kind of, you know, calling out to like really rethink where and how we define our competitor. And ultimately should inform where and how we utilize our digital channels, digital health solutions, digital marketing solutions, and the overall mapping of where that patient experience is. There's a lot of stuff here, Reed. I think it's really interesting. And and hopefully those of you listening in, your minds are kind of racing a little bit. We'd love to hear from you what your thoughts are on all of this. We really love input from, from people listening. You know, what are your thoughts? Is digital really the future of healthcare? Is it a part of healthcare? And what things have we missed? So with that, let's take a one brief last pause and then you and I will be back to close out the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right. Well, as we wrap up the show, we'd love to hear from you all. You know, I, these are, you know, we've done a couple of different show formats now that 
uh, or just, you know, uh, Chris and I kind of riffing and going through a couple of articles. If that's, if you like that, that's interesting, you know, let us know. We'd love to, you know, have some feedback. You know, we're rounding the corner on 300 episodes. So, you know, always looking to, you know, improve and get feedback and things like that. So uh, also if there's folks we should have on the show, topics we should cover, things like that, we'd love to know that as well. So uh, touchpoint.health is the website, sign up for the TPS report. And uh, we certainly just appreciate all the support. So, all right, Chris, uh, recommendations. What do you got today? Reed, I'm going to recommend something that may not be appropriate or, or useful for every member of our audience, but certain members of our audience. I mentioned earlier in the show today, as I'm developing these different tools around my type 1 diabetes management, I came across an app. It's a third-party app that is actually really, really good for me to track my uh, what I'm eating and tracking my exercise or whatever. It kind of ties things together. It's called Glucose Buddy. So what it is, is basically a an app that you can use to tie in your Fitbit tracking, which it does. Uh, you can pull in Apple Health information as well. And then it also has like sort of a food or a calorie tool that you can use if you if you need to track your, you know, what you eat and try to determine what carbs uh, with most diabetics like myself, carb counting is very important. It allows you to do that. The reason why I'm going to recommend it, it's kind of a commonplace tool. And again, very, you know, it seems very, like very specific, but I found it to be extremely useful, particularly around the way it does food tracking. And I'll tell you why. It has something in it that allows you to take a picture of your food that's on your plate, and it actually uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to try to identify and suggest what type of food you're eating and the caloric and carb levels to it. I found it to be really fascinating. I made a sandwich the other day uh, and a plate with some like vegetables on the side. I took a picture of it, and... Sure enough, it identified not only the vegetables, the type of vegetables, it also made a determination about how, what the quantity was on the on the plate. Interesting. And it identified the meat in my sandwich too, which was really fascinating to me. I'm not sure how intrusive that is, but I thought it was really, really useful. Now, I know not a lot of people go down that route, but for those of you who do, and you may want to do it for like you're on a diet or you're exercising or whatever, I think this tool is really, really interesting and it's free, totally free, connects with all your devices. And, you know, like I mentioned, Apple Health, Fitbit, in my case, also my glucometer, and it's awesome. So that's the recommendation I'm going to make. And if you ever see me taking pictures of my food in the future, it's not because I want to post them on Instagram. It's because I'm actually using this tool <laughs> to, to determine, you know, to help me determine. Yeah, you're not staging a neat photo for the socials. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's my recommendation. Nice. Well, my recommendation is not near as worthy worthwhile i don't know it's just a show and everybody's seen it at this point but i will say so maybe this is not so much the show but just the idea so i've gone back and started over i'm just a couple episodes in but i started back over breaking bad it's been a while since i've watched it so i don't remember i mean i remember the general arc of the story you know or whatever but man that was just such a well done show like written show it's just really interesting to go back now and, and watch it a second time. I watched it the one time when it came out. And so, yeah, so it's been a minute. Better Call Saul is, is you know, nearing its end. I think there's a couple of episodes left in its run. And so we may be getting to the end of shows 
being on TV like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like everything's on a, every, everything's like, you know, an original on prime or Netflix or whatever. So it's, it's interesting. You know, better call Saul is still on television. But anyway, go back. I maybe pick an old show, go back and watch it again. It's really interesting to kind of go back and see some of these shows that were originally on television and, uh, uh on the streaming services now. So that's my recommendations. Breaking bad. I love Breaking Bad, and it, it, you know, I, I know Better Call Saul is on its last season. It kind of made me think, oh, going back and watching that, and um, so I'm glad you recommended that because it still holds up. I love that. It does. All right. Uh, well, thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I uh, appreciate the support. Tell a friend, rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff. We uh, appreciate the support, and would love if you'd reach out to us. Uh, we've had some really nice notes from folks over the last. Oh, especially over the last week to two weeks about uh, the last few episodes. And so that's been uh, that's been fun to hear. So we'd love to hear what you think, how it's resonating, uh, all that kind of fun stuff. So Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith. and We'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.